Well, good morning, Zoe Church. Uh, we are so glad that you are with us this morning. I wanna welcome those of you who are here for the very first time. Thanks so much for joining in with us as we kick off week one of our brand new series in the book of Philippians. Over the next several months, we're gonna be looking at this book. And I actually made the decision to do this several months ago, and I am so glad uh, that it is right now because I think this series is so uh, impactful for the season of life that we are in. I know every single week you're gonna be encouraged in your faith, but you're also gonna be challenged. And you'll notice in this uh, image that we have here, it's a, somebody pouring out a bottle of water. And as we look through the book of Philippians, we're gonna recognize that this is a, a picture of what it looks like to follow Christ, that we would be like Jesus, pouring ourselves out, emptying ourselves for the sake of others. I think it's gonna be a, a great, great series. Uh, well, uh, how many of you know we live in a soundbite world, right? Like, you think about the news. Nobody actually cares about the story. They just want the headlines. What are the headlines? People share stories all the time. They never read it. It doesn't matter if it's real or not, you know? We live in a Twitter world. It's 140 characters or less. We're just passing on the stuff. What is the soundbite? You know, it's like memes. We got memes going all over the place. You know, I would guess half the country doesn't even know who our vice president is, but we all know what Baby Yoda looks like because we've all seen a meme with a Baby Yoda on it. But it's more than just the memes. Think about the quotes. We've got quotes all over the place. When you're on social media, what you see, every, every image just feels like a, another quote, another quote, another quote. You know, there's times when we need an encouragement. We need to be lifted up a little bit time. You know, you look for a quote. It's, it's like a, an emotional Red Bull. You know, it's just like giving you that little jolt of energy, that jolt of pick-me-up, you know. I think we can do the same thing with the Bible. Uh, we can turn the Bible into just these little sound bites, you know? And I think some of that's good, you know? We've got verses that are, that are powerful, that are meaningful, that can lift us up. And I think it's important to do those things. I mean, I would bet that some of your favorite verses, some of those power verses that you think about, come right out of the book of Philippians uh, that we're gonna be going through. Verses like this in chapter one of verse six says this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or this verse in Philippians four that says, and, may, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Or this verse, which I think is probably one most of us has quoted at some point, but I, I think it's one of the most misunderstood verses and I can't wait until we talk about it, but I can do all all things through him who gives me strength, right? We have these verses that are just this pick-me-up, and it's, and it's great, right? But there's a problem with a focus like this, and it's this, is that soundbite theology is not a firm foundation. Now, rather than seeking what we really need, a lot of times we're just looking for a quick soundbite, something that'll just make us feel good, but think about this. Why, why do I say it's not a firm foundation? You've probably had a, scene, a season in your life, a time where things weren't going well, a time where you were struggling physically, where you were struggling financially. Maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've uh, got a divorce. You, maybe you've just been in a tough time. I don't know what it is. But my guess is there's a season like that in your life. And somebody tried to come to you with a soundbite, you know. They came at you with that, that cheery verse, you know, to just try and, lift you up, or they come with that pithy statement that they think is gonna make you feel better, but in reality, all it did is, is make you more discouraged. It's like, that's not what I need right now. It's like, it's like you're in the middle of the desert, starving to death, and somebody has handed you an emotional Red Bull. You're like, I don't need an energy shot. What I need is something firm. What I need is something solid. 
And it's at times like these that I think we need to be reminded of the truth. We need to be reminded of what really matters. And this is how the book of Philippians starts. It doesn't start with an emotional Red Bull. It doesn't start with some pithy soundbite. It starts with solid ground. And I think this is a word for us today, but I believe this, that if we, if we could get a hold of this truth, I believe it could impact the rest of our lives. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter one, beginning in verse number one. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, you know that we were in a, a reading plan uh, for a few weeks. Uh, we ended last Sunday. Next Sunday, we're going to be launching a brand new Bible reading plan. We're going to go through the entire New Testament together as a church. So I encourage you to be looking for that next week. We'll be posting about that. But this week, I want to challenge you to read through the book of Philippians. Actually, the four chapters of Philippians and Acts chapter 16. We're going to post it on our social media uh, to remind you about that. But I think it's important to know what it is we're studying and to look at that together this week, all right? Uh, if you would, it's our, just our tradition around here. Would you stand as we read our primary text here this morning? It says this in Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you do want to speak to us. And so we pause. We say, God, we're listening. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this happened to me just uh, a couple of weeks ago. I was sitting on an iPad. Uh, just, it was my wife's I iPad, and I'm doing some work, and a text pops up. And the text was sent to Amber, and it was sent to me from this other person. And I started just responding to the text because I was in the thread, you know. And I'm responding, I'm responding, I'm responding. And all of a sudden, I realized, oh, yeah, I'm on Amber's iPad. So all of my texts look like I was the one or that Amber was the one that was speaking, when in reality, it was me that was speaking. And when I went back and read all the things, I realized everything I was saying made no sense because they thought it was coming from Amber and not me. And I realized something that's really important, and it's this, that knowing who's talking changes what's being said. Knowing who's talking actually changes what's being said. And so before we jump into the text and start studying this book together and even our message today, I think we need a little context about this, right? Uh, we start at the beginning and it says Paul and Timothy. Uh, Timothy is actually just a partner to Paul. And what we're gonna find in this that Timothy is most likely the scribe, the one who wrote this. This is really coming from the mouth and the heart of Paul. So who's Paul? We talked about Paul last Sunday, that Paul was the one who was trying to end Christianity. He was trying to destroy all the Christians, right? And he was persecuting them. And, and what happened is he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And in a moment, he went from being the greatest persecutor of the church to becoming the greatest advocate and missionary of the church. And he begins traveling all around, going city to city, planting churches. We know churches aren't buildings, it's groups of believers. He's planting these groups of believers in these cities. And so he goes to the city of Philippi and he finds a group of women outside of the city. You can read about this in Acts 16. He goes and he begins to talk to them about Christ and they receive the hope of Jesus and a church begins there and the church begins to grow and some really cool stuff happens there. There's actually the story, we shared this a couple months ago where Paul and Silas are caught in a prison and in the middle of the night, God breaks them out miraculously. That happened in Philippi. It was this amazing city and these people were people who were close to Paul. He loved them. He started, this was his baby, like he started this church. And you're gonna find that some of the letters that Paul writes in the New Testament are very confrontational 
This one isn't. This is encouraging. He's lift, he loves these people. He is just trying to lift them up, right, and to speak some life into them because he's got a deep relationship with them. But they're in the city of Philippi. So, so what's Philippi like? Philippi is a long ways from Rome, but it's a Roman colony, so it's kind of like a, a little miniature Rome. They, they look like the Romans. The architecture's like the Romans. They talk like the Romans, all this kind of stuff, right? And you've got these people who are very, very loyal to Rome and to the entire empire. But more than that, mo- most of the people in the city, a lot of the people are former military. They are retired military. So these are people that served under the Roman Empire and they love, they are patriotic. They love their empire. They love the emperor. They are loyal to him. And so you can imagine a bunch of Christians who are talking about this Jesus who is in control and who is their Lord and their God. You can see how this could have some problems with a bunch of people who fiercely love their emperor. And Paul understands this because Paul is writing from prison. See, Paul knows what it's like to speak the hope of Jesus. That's what he did. He traveled around and shared the gospel, and over and over, he dealt with persecution for it. And now, instead of writing this letter to them from some penthouse or, you know, from some tropical beach that he's hanging out on, he is in prison awaiting trial before Caesar because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I think it's this truth of where he's writing from that colors everything that we're gonna read as we study through this book. So we get to verse one of chapter one, and, it, and this is actually a fairly normal thing. When you read about Greco-Roman letters, they all had a very similar opening. It, oftentimes it talked about who's writing it, who they're writing to, and then some sort of a greeting. And that's what we have here. But what we see is that Paul takes a normal structure of the day and he leverages it for his purposes. He infuses his own purpose into this thing. And in these two short verses, honestly, these are the kind of verses that if you're like me, a lot of times you'll just skip over them. You're like, ah, that's not really saying anything all that important. But, but we gotta stop here because what Paul is doing is laying a bedrock for the Philippian church to stand on. And so there's three parts that we're gonna look in this. I think there's three things that Paul is trying to point these people to. And that's what we're gonna look at here this morning. Uh, We're actually gonna work our way backwards through this thing. So we're gonna start at the end and move our way forward. So if you're taking notes, this would be some stuff I think would be good for you to write down. The, The first thing Paul points them to is this, who God is. He points them to who God is, right? And it begins at the very end, right? What does he say? The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I talked about this whole idea of Lord and Christ uh, back in the fall. We did a series on the gospel. Week two of that series, I really went into, into depth on this, and so I would encourage you, if you didn't catch that message, go back and watch that one. Uh, but this whole idea of Lord Jesus Christ, we don't understand what that means. The first word, Lord, is probably something that we, we understand the least, because we don't use the word Lord all that often. I mean, the only time people think about Lord is maybe Lord Vader, if you're a Star Wars fan. I don't know. We don't talk about Lords that often. Uh, but this idea of Lord carried so much weight in the Roman Empire because specifically the Lord was in reference to Caesar, to the emperor, the one who was absolutely in control, the one who had his kingdom. He called the shots. He was the one owning everything. This was his show, Right? And when we talk about Jesus as Lord, man, this was controversial stuff 
because what Paul is saying is, listen, Caesar isn't Lord. The emperor isn't Lord. No, there is another Lord. There was another sheriff in town. Jesus has taken the reins and he is in control. You know a verse that we talk about a lot of times is, is Romans 10, 9. You, you've read it before. When, we, when people respond to Jesus, we'll say this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You know, we read this verse all the time. We say, yeah, so you gotta say some stuff. You gotta believe some stuff. Say some stuff, believe some stuff. That's great. This means so much more than just saying some stuff, right? Declaring Jesus is Lord, what you're saying is, listen, Caesar, you're not in control. No, there is another king. There is another Lord. Jesus is Lord. And it's obvious that proclaiming something like this sometimes is gonna result in persecution, right? With all these people said, no, no, you don't talk about our emperor that way, right? And Paul is trying to remind these people, listen, no matter what you see, no matter what you endure, you can understand and believe this, that Jesus is in charge. Jesus is Lord. But more than just Lord, it's the Lord Jesus Christ, what does this word Christ mean? It literally means the anointed one. And in the Old Testament, it's connected to this word of Messiah. What is the Messiah? Messiah is the one who would rescue and redeem and bring salvation first to his people, but then to the entire world. There was this hope that the Jews longed for. The Messiah was literally God establishing his rule and his reign here on earth. And when Paul talks about this to the Philippians, the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what he is saying. No matter what trial you face, listen, no matter what persecution you endure, no matter what the world throws at you, and I would say to us, no matter what pandemic the world is dealing with, no matter what financial struggles you're dealing with, no matter what relationship issues you have, you can be confident of this, that Jesus is in control. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, not just in some far off way, like someday I just gotta hold on till when Jesus has everything under, under control. No, he is in control now. He is the king. He is Lord right now. And that is confident, firm ground that we can stand on. But he doesn't just say the Lord Jesus Christ. He says he is God, our Father. God, our Father. If you remember when Jesus was around, he, he would talk to the Pharisees all the time and he would always get in trouble for this, right? Because he would call God his Father. The Pharisees would get ticked off. Why? Because they're like, you don't call him that. No, he is holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. You don't, you don't talk to him like he's your father, like he's your dad. And Jesus said, yeah, he is my father. He is God, our father. He is close. He is near. He is caring. And I get it because some of us had bad dads. Some of you had no dad in the picture. And so when we talk about God as our father, that's just like, that feels weird to you. Maybe that's not even good news to you, but hear this, God is nothing like your earthly father. He is a good father. It took me having kids to kind of understand this myself. Like, I know I talk and I joke about it all the time that, that when my kids are older, they better not be living in my house. You know, that they, they better move on at some point. But I'm gonna tell you this, the moment my kids move out, I'm gonna be bawling like a baby, all right? I love my kids with everything in me. Like I love, I would do anything for my kids, right? I would give my very life for my kids. And that's just the beginning of what God's heart is like for us. Jesus said this, like, if you, you sinful people can give good gifts to your kids, think about your father in heaven. 
See, God is our Father. And it's very easy in a world like we live in right now to forget how near he really is, how much he desperately cares for us. But that is the rock-solid truth Paul says we need. We need to remember the Lord Jesus Christ who is in control and God our Father who is near to us. But he goes on and he says who God is, but the second thing that he talks about is what he provides, what he provides. There's two things that he references. He says grace and peace to you. Grace and peace to you. The first word, grace, what is grace? It is unmerited favor. It's favor that you don't deserve. You didn't do anything to earn this thing, right? I think most of us have sung the song, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We know that song. Some of you remember back to the moment when you turned to Christ for the very first time, right? When you gave your life to Jesus and you experienced the grace of God for the very first time. But hear this, grace is more than a moment. Grace is God's attitude toward us. It is his disposition toward us. It is the way he cares for us. Listen, we don't deserve anything. We deserve nothing. But God, the fact that he thinks about it, the fact that he gives us his attention, the fact that he pursues us, the fact that he gave his very life for us, the fact that we just celebrated Easter, right? This whole story that he came and fought for us, that is the grace of God. He is after us. We don't deserve it. We haven't done anything to earn it, but that is how he acts and lives toward us. It's amazing, God's grace that's available to us. So often we think that, man, it's all up to what we do, but Paul talks about it over and over and over in scripture. No, it's not about what we can do on our own. It is what God has provided for us. It is his grace that saves us. But he says it's grace and peace. Now, I don't have time to get into all that this word peace really means. I mean, it is so full, but, but you can understand this, that it's his grace that leads to peace. Peace primarily with God. You know, there's nothing that we could do to find peace with God, to make things right with God. You know, that's what humanity has been trying to do forever. They've been trying to make things right, and that's what we call religion. Religion is man's attempt to get right with God, to make God happy. But we understand that religion is never the solution because, like we said, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor, right? But because of his grace, he provides peace. He provides restored relationship with him. And here's the deal. Paul is reminding these people, listen, believers, I know there's times when you're like, oh, I've kind of screwed things up and I gotta try and make it right. I gotta try and fix the stuff. You gotta remember that it is not you who provides the peace. It is what God has done through Christ on your behalf. Grace and peace are provided by God alone. So Paul talks about who God is. Then he talks about what he provides. But lastly, he talks about who he says we are. Who he says we are. Look at what it says. It says, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus. This phrase, holy people, what does that mean? It literally means saints. Saints. 
this holy people, it means that we are set apart. We are holy. We are a totally under a different kingdom, right? Oh, there's the, the kingdom of Caesar, but no, 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 we're not in that kingdom. We're a part of a different kingdom. We serve Jesus Christ as Lord. And because of that, because we are in Christ, it says that we are saints. I don't know about you, but that feels a little weird. It feels crazy. Like, I don't feel like a saint a lot of the time, right? There's certain Christian traditions that talk about sainthood, and that's something you have to earn. Like, you gotta work your way up to being a saint if you reach certain levels, you know? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said sainthood isn't something you achieve by accomplishing things. No, sainthood is a position and an identity that is given for those who are in Christ. It's not up to you. It's not because you're so great. It is because you have submitted to the lordship of Christ and received the grace of God, the peace of God, that he calls you a saint. And so as weird as it may feel to say, I am Saint Greg. That's who I am. You are a saint. You may need to say it right right now, wherever you're at. I want you to say this. I am Saint, fill in the blank. I am Saint, I'm Saint Greg. It might feel weird for you to say it. I guarantee it is, but here's the deal. Paul is reminding us not of what we feel. He's reminding us of the truth. And the truth is that no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, if you are in Christ, you are a saint. That is who you are. That is your identity. But it's not just you individually. Look what it says. To all God's holy people, to all the saints, And this is what makes the good news clear to us because you know some people in your life that are followers of Christ, but you look at them and you say, man, they still got stuff they gotta get together. Like they ain't living perfectly still. Maybe they just came to Christ and there's some messes. Maybe they've been following Jesus a long time and you're like, man, they still got some messes. Guess what Paul used to say? He says, the stuff I wanna do, I can't do. The stuff I don't wanna do, I end up doing. We're all in that boat. And when we can look at all the saints and recognize, you know what? Our position as saints is not because we're perfect. It's because our God is good. And that is who he has called us. And when I wake up in the morning, it doesn't matter how I feel. What matters is the truth of who I am in Christ. So Paul, talking to a group of believers, trying to encourage them to lift them up, he points them back, not to some some pithy statement, not to some nice little soundbite, but he drives them deep into the bedrock of truth, of who God is, of what he provides, and who he says we are. And I think this is something we need. So I wanna go to our big so what here. We always close, we say so what, what's the point of this thing? I think this is the truth that we need to grab onto and if we could get a hold of this, I think it could transform us and it's simply this. Believing the truth is the beginning of hope. Believing the truth is the beginning of hope. It's not just knowing some truth. Because we can have stuff up in our mind, but until we begin to believe it in our heart, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything in us. But Paul is saying this, you need to believe the truth. You need to believe the truth of who God is. Believe the truth of what he provides for you. Believe the truth of who he says you are, right? What does that look like? It means this. It means when I get up in the morning, I believe the truth that it is the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is in control, that he is firm, that this is his kingdom, and I can submit and rely on him because he is firm ground. It means that even when I mess up, even when I, when I kind of 
kind of screwed up some way and I don't want to come back to God, I can remember the truth that he is a good father that I can come to, I can run to. And with arms wide open, he is saying, please, would you come back to me, right? It's believing the truth that it is by grace that I am saved. The grace isn't just a moment, but grace is God's attitude toward me, that he is pursuing me, that he, he acts toward me in a way that is loving and that it isn't based on my goodness, it's based on his goodness. It's believing the truth that I have peace with God, not because of my perfection or my righteousness, but because of Christ's perfection, what he has provided for me. And I can submit it and surrender to that. And and lastly, that I believe the truth that I am a saint. Doesn't matter what I feel like. Doesn't matter. Some of you are, you're in quarantine right now. You're hanging out at home. And and honestly, you're stuck in the house with some people that, that you're not always happy with, right? Like, you're married. Sometimes you say stuff you don't want to be saying. You respond to the kids in ways you don't want to be responding. And you look at yourself and you say, ah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I've not been a very good Christian today. Hey, that, that doesn't change who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a saint. And as we begin to believe the truth, it produces in us a hope that the world can never take away from us. And I believe it transforms how we live. It transforms who we are as people as we begin to believe the truth. It's a hope nobody can take. And listen, the reason Paul can say this is because he's living it. Writing this to some people that he loves from prison. Knowing that in that prison cell, there is a hope that can endure no matter what you're facing. I've experienced this, experienced this myself in my own life. There's been times where I've gone through hard seasons and, and I have come back to the truth of God's word and see it produce in my heart a hope that, that no one could take away. But the person that I saw this the most clearly in is a man named Steve. Steve was a guy who uh, followed Jesus. He loved Jesus, right? He was a guy in the church that I was a part of at one point in time. And, and he would come to me. Every time he'd see me, he'd say, hey, Greg, have I told you lately how much I appreciate you? I'm like, no, you haven't, Steve. And then the next time he'd see me, he'd do the same thing. Give me a big hug. I told you how much I appreciate you. He would always, he was always lifting me up. You see, Paul, he, uh, uh, Steve had a lot of physical challenges. His whole life, he had issues that were going on. He went in and out of the hospital. In the last several years of his life, he really dealt with some challenges. And he got to the point where uh, it was almost the end of his life. You could just see things were, things were turning out really bad. And I remember going to visit him in the hospital because I knew I'm not sure how much longer he's going to make it. And I, I looked at him in this room. And I looked at his eyes, and, and he, just, he just looked bad. I mean, his scrawny... He just hooked up to all these wires. His skin was gray. It just didn't look good, right? But I come up to him, and he looks at me, and and he's talking a little bit, and and he begins to get tears in his eyes. And I remember he quotes the scripture where he says, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. When I am weak, then I am strong. And I looked into the eyes of a man. It wasn't a man who had all the things in the world. It was a man who was struggling to barely hang on. But what I saw in his eyes was a man who had a hope that the world could never take away. There was nothing that could exclude, no pain, no disease, no nothing could take it away. 
right? He was firmly planted, not on some pithy statement, not on some little ideas and quotes that are going to lift his spirits. No, he was planted on the firm truth of who God is, of what he had provided, and who he said he was. And that truth produced hope in his heart. And I believe that's precisely the hope that God wants to give you if we would simply trust him. Jesus, we thank you that you are a firm foundation. That God, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're enduring, we can trust in who you are. We can trust in what you have provided for us and we can trust in who you say we are, Lord. God, we don't need the next pithy statement. We don't need another sound bite. We don't need another quote to just lift us up. We need to ground ourselves in that truth. And Lord, I pray for every single person who is, who's been questioning, who's been going around looking for, for it in all the wrong places. God, I pray that they would come back to the truth that never changes. And God, I pray that hope would rise in their hearts right now. God, I pray for anyone out there as well that, that maybe have never turned their life toward you. God, I pray right now that you would begin to draw their hearts to yourself. Father, that they would be reminded that you love them that they would be reminded that, that you care, that you are pursuing them, and you desire nothing less than them to simply turn to you and to surrender their lives to you, that you might give them everything that you desire for them, Lord. God, I pray that you would uh, meet everyone right where they're at. God, I pray within our church known as Zoe, God, that we would be known as a place filled with hope, God, that we don't get rattled when the winds of this world change. Instead, we would be firmly grounded in the truth. We thank you, Jesus pray that you would lift our hearts in your name. Amen. Well, I, I, I want to give a challenge to you because I'm, I'm very practical, you know, and it's great to be reminded of the truth, but we've got to actually do something with this if it's going to impact our day beginning tomorrow. And so here's what I want to challenge every single one of you to do. This is our challenge this week. I want you to begin your morning by thanking God for who he is, for what he provides and who he says you are. It might be as simple as this to just simply pause for a moment and say, Father, I thank you that you are the Lord Jesus Christ and that I can trust in you, that you are sure and firm, that you are in control. I, God, I praise you and I thank you that you are God, my Father, God, that you care about me, that you are a good Father. Uh, go on and pray. God, I thank you for your grace, that that is your attitude toward me. I thank you for your peace, that I have peace with God, not because of me, but because of what you have done. God, I thank you that you call me, you give me the position of a saint. And even if I don't feel like a day, God, I pray you would help me to live out of that position and that identity. I encourage you to do something like that every single day and watch. And, and I guess there's probably gonna be moments in your life where you kind of get off course. You might in the middle of the day, you might need to stop and just say, Okay, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for, you might have to do that. I don't know what it is, but let's allow the truth of God's word to be what grounds us. Don't go looking for something somewhere else. Go looking for some quiet quote or some soundbite. Let's ground ourselves in the truth this week. There's some of you out there that, you know what? You've never responded to Jesus. You've never turned your life over to him. You know, I would love the opportunity to connect with you. And so if you're interested in pursuing what does a relationship with Jesus look like, I want you to do something. I want you to send an email to office at zchurch.org. Simply email office at zchurch.org. And just simply say, I want to learn more about following Jesus. And I will get in contact with you to support you on that journey of faith.
because it's a journey we all want to be on together.